As he works out everything in conformity, we've got to conform to the purpose of his will. Conform. What's his will? His will is clearly that we be holy. He chose us in the vocation of the Lord to be holy. We must conform and live according to what he purposed in his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And we who were the, not the first, we the, however many generations since that time, we should be for the praise of his glory. Right? Do you think we'd be for the praise of his glory if we took drugs all the time and if we were drinking all the time and if we were womanising all the time or manising, whatever you want to call it, from the other direction? And if we were homosexuals and if we were lesbians and if we were doing all these terrible things, if we were living those lives, if we were living a licentious life filled with sin, are we for the praise of his glory? We're not conforming to his will. And I'm worried that you can go so deep in that and live so filthily that even though you profess faith in Christ, you will be thrown into hell. Because in evidence, it says you will know them by their fruit. The fruit of a Christian's life will be a transformed life. A holy life, that's evidence. If someone, will, if someone lives a holy and righteous life continuously, you can say without shadow of that, that guy's a true Christian. Can't you? If he's a filthy, rotten, dirty scoundrel who's thieving and he's doing everything wrong and he swears like crazy and he's just the worst guy be around, yet he says he's, he's a Christian. Can you tell by the fruit? I don't know. I don't know. He says he's a Christian, but I don't know. Every time I'm around him, I feel filthy. Why is that? Because it's fruit. It's fruit. It must be evident in our life. Amen. salvation and holiness and I want to get to that because it's really really good for us to understand these things um, but Ephesians 1 4 and 5 and it says for he chose us for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So this is this was God's plan. Before, while he was, or before he created the world, obviously everything that he wanted to create, the, the world and the universe and everything within it, everything that he wanted to create, including us was in his mind before he spoke them into existence. And so he chose, at that time, he chose for you and me, at that time, to be holy and to be blameless. That was what he predestined us to be. That's what he wanted from his people, and, or for his people. And so at that time, 
Jesus saw, and he knew with incredible foresight that we couldn't be holy in our own strength. And so he already planned to lay his life down on the cross. Before he created anything, he knew he would be dying on the cross. He knew he would have to die. He knew that what he was going to create was going to become sinful. And he knew he was going to have to do something to redeem that fallen creation. He knew that we couldn't be holy on our own. He knew that he would have to die and make us holy and enable us to stay holy by giving us the Holy Spirit. That was what he predestined before time began, before anything happened. So this sermon and these sermons were predestined before time began to be preached because they had to be preached so that we could wake up and say, okay, now that we're under grace, it's not a free-for-all. We can't just sit to our heart's content and be saved. We've got to know that it's by grace that we get holy. It's it's because we're under grace that we become holy creatures that we start to live holy lives. That's why he died, to make us holy. He didn't die on a cross so that we could say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I'm going to go out to sin in my heart's content now. He didn't do it that. That's not the idea behind it. That's 20th century Thinking as 20th century preaching, as 20th century mindset of Christians. It wasn't always like that. Actually, every book that I've read that was pre the 20th century doesn't speak of any such things. Actually, many ministers in the 20th century never spoke of such things. And so it's becoming uh, it's at an epidemic, and that's why we're doing this survey. And I really have to keep preaching it to you because, and God, God's been saying to me, keep on this subject because. He wants this church to know the truth on this subject because it's very, very watered down now to a point where people are very, very mixed up on it. And I, I can guarantee you, just say someone comes up to you at the moment and says, you know, if you if you think that we need to be saved, you must live a holy life. That they would say that that they would say to you that's legalism. And you know what you would have trouble doing even right now? I reckon most of you would still probably have trouble proving from the scriptures that what they're saying is not so. Do you think you'd have a hard time trying to articulate the right wording at this present time? Now I, I would say uh, some of you, if you're not taking at the notes, we probably not know where the scriptures were that would actually be able to uh, counter what they're saying. And so what I want to really take note of is the scriptures that I'm bringing up, because they're really important for you to sort of be able to articulate, because there's this growing movement, a growing movement of grace, and it's hyper grace, and it's, it's this prevailing thing that if you preach holiness, you're preaching works. Now, I'm going to be going into that, what works really are. Oh, 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 let's put it this way. I, want, I might even go into it right now because it's fresh in my mind at the moment. What, well, let's, let's look at holiness. Let's look at the things of holiness. Are the Ten Commandments still applicable today? Yes. yes. I'll tell you why. Are you, now that you're a Christian, and suppose, and as, as Paul says, you're not under the law, does that mean now that you can murder that you're a Christian? No. Now that you're a Christian and you're not under the law, can you now commit adultery? 
Now that you're a Christian, you're not under the law, but can you commit fornication? Now that you're a Christian, you're not under the law, can you hate your brother? Can you sin to your heart's content now that you're a Christian, you're not under the law? Doesn't make sense to think that that's what he's talking about when he says you're not under the law. The moral code is we're still under the law of the moral code of the law. He's talking about the ceremonial law. He's talking about circumcision. He's talking about um, an array of other things, dietary requirements, all those things in the Old Testament. We're not under any of that anymore. But he certainly was not talking about morals. He certainly wasn't saying, now that you're a Christian, you can sin. Because everywhere else in Scripture, it says the complete opposite. Now that you're not under the law, can you do 100 kilometers an hour in a 60k zone? You can't. It doesn't make sense to think. You can, and I've said this quite a few times. Now that you're under the law, can you just do whatever you want? Can you break in and break in into places and steal? No, actually you're going to find in Ephesians, he says, those of you who want stealing, stop stealing. He tells them straight. But I'm still amazed that, that Christians will still come up and say, when you're preaching morals, you're preaching legalism. And you know what? What's happening is some of the moral standards of Christians are less than the atheists in the world. Because of that. Because if you think that grace is that such a level of cover that you can just do whatever you want. Now I'll tell you what works up. The works are all the ceremonial requirements of the law, but also works are this. Works are, if you, you do something bad, like in some religions, you have to amend it with good things and do good things for the rest of your life sort of thing. So if you go and do good works, you go and mow a lady's you know, lawn or something through the week, you know, you, you help people in, in their daily life and all that sort of thing. I, I'm, I'm constantly helping people, you know, counseling people and doing all that sort of thing. But that's not gonna get me to heaven. That's not going to wipe away my sin. That's not going to get me any kind of redemption, is it? It certainly is a requirement in the sense that, you know, faith without works is dead. So if we don't have these good deeds, we don't have fruit in our life. But it's not that that saves us. And we've got to have these distinctions and understandings because, you know, some of the worst behaved people I know are Christian at the moment. Terribly badly behaved. You know, and I've used this example many times, but in, in past years, um, Matthew knows someone who's in a church where the youth group meet out on a Saturday night at a pub, and they get drunk together every Saturday night with their youth pastor. And they, because they're not under the law, they think that's all fine. And when Matthew was saying, something's really wrong with that, the scriptures speak against drunkenness and all that sort of thing. She she sort of stood against you on it. She couldn't she couldn't agree. And no matter how hard Matthew tried, he could not get through even using scripture to prove that you shouldn't be acting like that as a Christian. I know Christians that will drink more than most normal people. They they he takes more drugs, swears like a sailor, and and on top of that, he womanizes. But he yet through the day when he's driving from, to his jobs, he's speaking in tongues all day long. I'm thinking, what spirit is moving his tongue? 
if that's how he lives his life. And that's why um, I'm, I'm, because he's under hyper grace, he believes that's what he can do. Now when I see this, and when I get guys like your friend that time coming in and, and, and giving it to me because I teach moral code, I teach live by the moral requirements of the law, he sees that as legalism, he stands there and, and he, he gets really, really hard with me. I'm thinking Christianity has gone to, gone to rack and ruin, and people like that are believing in that way. So we need to we need to look at the scriptures soberly. We can't just listen to the pet scriptures of the hyper grace teachers. We've got to look at the whole counsel of scripture and get it in the context. And so I want to do that with you today. So let's have a look at Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. And he said, In him we were also chosen. Some of these scriptures are just pertaining to salvation. I want to talk about them. In him we're also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Get that. As he works out everything in conformity, we've got to conform to the purpose of his will. Conform. What's his will? His will is clearly that we be holy. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. We must conform and live according to what he purposed in his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And we who were the, not the first, we the, however many generations since that time, we should be for the praise of his glory. Right? Do you think we'd be for the praise of his glory if we took drugs all the time and if we were drinking all the time and if we were womanising all the time or manising, whatever you want to call it, from the other direction? And if we were homosexuals and if we were lesbians and if we were doing all these terrible things, if we were living those lives, if we were living a licentious life filled with sin, are we for the praise of his glory? We're not conforming to his will. And I'm worried and you can go so deep in that and live so filthily that even though you profess faith in Christ, you will be thrown into hell. Because in evidence, it says you will know them by their fruit. The fruit of a Christian's life will be a transformed life. A holy life, that's evidence. If someone, walked, if someone lives a holy and righteous life continuously, you can say without shadow about that guy's a true Christian. If he's a filthy, rotten, dirty scoundrel who's thieving and he's doing everything wrong and he swears like crazy and he's just the worst guy to be around, yet he says he's, he's a Christian. Can you tell by the fruit? I don't know. I don't know. He says he's a Christian, but I don't know. Every time I'm around him, I feel filthy. Why is that? Because it's fruit. It's fruit. It must be evident in our life. Amen. Purpose of his will in order that we were the first to hope Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, and that is the promised Holy Spirit, and he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Guaranteeing our inheritance. And that deposit, that deposit must come out of us. We must be 
living Holy Spirits, in a sense. Holy Spirit's in us, and the Holy Spirit's got to come out of us, and the Holy Spirit should shine out of us like a bright light, like a lamp on a hill. And who knows, it can get pretty cloudy. Who knows that the Holy Spirit can be in us, and like a lamp, but the glass can be very dim, dim. And it can get so filthy. Who knows, if, have you ever had um, lamps that get so filthy, if you ever seen them? And then you, you turn them on and you think, why is the light not shining out of this thing? It's so dirty. Don't let your lamp become dirty and filthy. And I'm, I'm preaching to the choir in a sense, but I know you all understand this. But we've still got to go over it in our, in our life. We've got to be, become harder on the small things, harder on ourselves on the small things. And when I say harder on ourselves, harder on ourselves in accordance with how the Spirit speaks to us and moves us. You know, when you're a new Christian, just say you're a new Christian, you come into the faith and you, you've been a drug addict, you've been an alcoholic, you've done all these terrible rotten things, you've, you've stolen to support your drug habit and, and a whole range of things. There's some big moves of the Spirit that have to take place in that, that person's life. They've got to get rid of a whole lot of big, heavy burdens first. There's drugs and all the rest of it. Now when you get down to the point where all of those things are taken care of, then you start having God has to deal with small things, small issues in our life, like lack of prayer and lack of um, commitment, lack of speaking to people at the right time, and um, a lack of caring, a lack of love, and a lack of a whole range of other small things that start to come in, you know, unforgiveness and, and those sorts of things. And so God deals with big things in those situations, but even though we might think that these are small things now, they're still big things because they're getting in the way of God shining through us. God can't shine through us like He wants to. If we're continually struggling with these small issues, I mean, just willing, unwilling to let go of. Amen. Whatever they are, I don't, I don't judge any of you because I don't know what you all, you know, do. So in a sense that you only know what you all do. So you need to speak to God and have that private relationship with Him and say, Lord, reveal to me what's holding back the Spirit of God in my life. Amen. Now. Um, Let's go to the next scripture, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Now this is probably the pet scripture for hyper grace from here on. So let's have a look at it. Or oh, actually, they don't usually read the earlier part. They usually like to say the, the pet scriptures are coming up in, in around I think it's 7 or 8 to 10. But 2, 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. See, this is us before we found Christ. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we could change the utility, in which we used to live when we followed the ways of the world. So we used to live that way when we followed the ways of the world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who's that? Who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? Satan. Who we used to follow. Unbeknownst to us, we used to follow Satan. The Spirit who is now working at work in those who are disobedient. See, the Spirit of Satan works in the disobedient. So if a Christian falls back into recklessness and drug taking, alcoholism and, and you know, uh, promiscu promiscuality or whatever you want to say, promiscuousness, 
And if, if you fall back into theft, if you fall back into a whole range of things that you used to be bound by, guess who you've now following? The Spirit, who is the ruler and kingdom of the air. You are now following Satan. Even though you profess faith in Christ, you are now being ruled by Satan again, because that's Satan's way of operating in this world, isn't it? And I know many Christians uh, through the years who fall back into drug taking, fall back into alcoholism. As I was saying last night to um, Andy and Shannon, um, we were at a, a, a went on a camping trip once down the mountain. We were at a, where we had our tent. There was we bumped into a bunch of Christian people, and they drank all night long. Like, it was crazy. And, I was just sort of blown away by, like, they were, they were lovely people, but they had no concept that drinking heavily is not what a Christian should do. You know, a glass of red wine over, over dinner, I have no trouble with that, and I don't think God does. Actually, Paul recommends it to Timothy, and, and you know, it, it's been found to be very healthy. But if you're going to drink 20 glasses of red wine over dinner, that's not healthy, is it? Yeah, so... I was pretty astounded when I, could, when I saw Christians drinking like fishes. And no feelings of guilt because according to what they were getting taught, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We live under grace. Why worry? All of us, says here in verse 2, all of us lived, um, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. All of us lived among them. We've all done it. And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, if you live that way, you're by nature an object of wrath. Put up your head if you want to be an object of wrath. You really want to become an object of wrath? Well, that's what happens when you live that way. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Now, this is where it gets interesting, and this is where hypergrace kicks in and misinterprets this because it denies everything else that comes after that. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is, you've lived that way. I'm going to express so much kindness to you and love and forgiveness that even though you did the most terrible things, I'm going to forgive you completely. And it's by grace, completely by grace. For it is by grace, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You just have faith. And by that grace you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. So it's nothing that you can do. It is a gift of God. And it's not by works. And that's got nothing to do with morals. It's got nothing to do with works. Or anything, actually, even your morals, because your morals were bad. So it's not by works, not by anything except what Christ did for us. 
so that no one can boast, so that we can't get to heaven and say, I got here because I was such a good person. Well, God saved you when you were a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's when God saved you. And then from that moment, if any good came out of you, it was because of the Holy Spirit, and you yielded to the Holy Spirit. So it's all a work of God. It's all a work of grace done in your life. The Holy Spirit in us is grace to us to live holy lives. And that's why he died, and that's why he rose, and that's why he said it to send the Holy Counselor so that the Holy Counselor could work through us so that we could live holy, righteous lives. Amen. That's why it happened. Who's getting this? And you know what I'm preaching? I want you to really take a hold of this. And I know I've preached it 13 times or 12 times before, but I want you to really get a hold of this today because this is, this is the glory of the gospel. This is the wonderful message of the gospel. This is what it's all about, guys. This is the main message that was preached continuously by the apostles. The apostles taught this all the time. This is the essence of what they taught. That's why I'm doing a survey of the New Testament, and I'm reading so much of the New Testament, and it's always in relation to this topic. And so why should we ignore it and say, oh, that's not, let's talk about something else now. Or, oh, hang on, you watch how much scripture I'm going to be pulling up out of, out of the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be reading, so get yourselves ready, I'm going to be reading nearly everything in the book of Ephesians because it all pertains to this subject. So it says, back in verse 8, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. And I want you to really take this to heart too. For we are God's workmanship. That means he made us, created in Christ Jesus to do what? What does it say there? To do, come on, let's hear it. Good works. Good works. Good deeds. Anything, anyone say anything else? So why were we created in Christ Jesus to do good works? That's why we were created. To do good works. Oh, but it's going under the law. It's not about works. It's not about works. You don't get saved by works, but we're created to do good works. Hmm. She's evidence that we're Christian if we do good things, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So guess what? If, that, if, if we're created to do good works, also God has prepared a whole bunch of things we can do, so make sure you know what they are, so you don't get to heaven and he says, says to you, do you know I had all these things for you to do and you didn't do it? I had created and prepared in advance this for you to do, this for you to do, this for you to do, this, this, this. You should have done that in 2007, you should have done that in 2008, you should have done that in 2009, you should have done that in 2010, and you had, I prepared it in advance, your whole life was planned out, Yet you didn't seek my will, you didn't pray, you didn't know what you had to do, you were confused about my will the whole way, and all these works were left undone, left undone, left undone, left undone. And then you did a few, and then you left the rest undone. Who wants to get to heaven and hear that? Now, you want to get to heaven and say, yes, you achieved 2008, yes, you achieved 2009. You did all these things because you had prepared. See, hyper-grace can make you not prepared to do any of those things. Hypergrace can make you not think you have to do anything. Because it's not about works, you're not under the law. But it's not that. It is, it is about works. But they don't save you. 
but it is about works because it says here, God created in Christ Jesus for you to do good works, for you to do. It's not for you not to do, or for you to think about it, maybe we'll do it. Can you see what I'm talking about? It says he created in Christ Jesus things for you to do. So you have to know, you have to find out what you can do. Now, is it only me that has a lot to do? Is it only the pastors? Is it only those that pray a lot that realise they've got a lot to do? Or is every single person who's been selected by God and chosen by God and called of God, is every single person required to do them? Yeah. So that's why it says, brothers, we have an obligation. And it's not to live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And if you live according to the spirit, guess what? You're going to know what to do. You're going to be doing those works. Amen. Good works. Do they save you? No. They don't save you. Does your holiness save you? No. But it's evidence. And it's evidence in the sense that if you're not holy, it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is not in you, and it's evidence that you're more than likely on the road to hell. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, you will be holy, because you can't not be holy if the Holy Spirit's in you. It doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron to be an unholy person filled with the Holy Spirit. How can an unholy person be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will only be holy. That's it. So if you're taking drugs again, you can tell you're under the control of Satan. You know? And if, you, if you're drinking again, if you're doing any of the sinful activities you used to do, then you know you're under the control of Satan. You're not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you've grieved the Holy Spirit, as the Scriptures say. The Holy Spirit's gone, and you now, if you're speaking in tongues, I could say with a very strong confidence that that's not the tongues of the Holy Spirit. If you're living that kind of lifestyle, if you're just getting drunk all the time, and so on. Amen? Why am I hammering this home? Why do you think? Because we're living in the worst age, most filthy age in history. You can't live in a more filthy age than now. If, we're, if you come to church on Sunday and don't hear every second Sunday strong preaching on holiness, in an age like this, we're in jeopardy. Yeah. We're in jeopardy. The Christian church is, 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 is teetering on the brink of destruction. The only thing that's going to save it is if God himself comes and manifests and, 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 and knocks everyone onto the ground in the sense of get, you know, cleans up their act. So what we've got to do is preach holiness. We've got to live holy lives. And as Leonard Ravenhill said, if you want to build a big church, preach prosperity. If you want to build a small church, preach holiness. <laughs> you know, proof is in the pudding, so I must be doing something right. Let's go on to the next scripture and we'll get back on topic. 2.11, and it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised. That's what the, how the Israelites or the, the Jews would have considered us. Gentiles were both called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. So he's saying it's just done in the body. It, it should be a circumcision of the heart done by the Holy Spirit. But remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. At that time, we were excluded from citizenship in Israel. 
not a part of Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of the promise had nothing to do with them. Foreign. Without hope and without God of the world, that's us formally. That's a pretty, we were separate in a, in a big way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So by the blood of Christ, we get brought near to God. And for he himself is our peace. And this is Jesus. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one. What is he talking about, the two? Israel and the Gentiles. He's made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier. What's the barrier? That's the thing that stood there between Israel and the Gentiles. Destroying the barrier, dividing wall of hostility, so it was a hostile barrier, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So, uh, and that law he's talking about is the ceremonial law and the dietary law and all those other things, you know. All the laws that they had to, if you read through um, the first five books of the Bible, you will hear a lot of ceremonial laws and stuff. And it's, it's quite heavy. It would be very, very difficult to keep. And, and Paul even said, you know, we're trying to put a yoke of circumcision on the Gentiles, a, a yoke that we ourselves couldn't carry. You know, because it was such a heavy yoke, all that, all that law, legalism. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. So, and, and make, thus making peace. And in this one body, to, so what he's talking about is Jesus Christ is the body of Christ. Right? He wanted to make one body out of Israel and the Gentiles, the rest. He wanted to make one body, make it as one people. Thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So the cross is for everyone, not just for the Jews. By which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, which is us, and peace to those who were near, which is the Jews. Well, through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So there's one Holy Spirit, we have access to the Father by. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. How beautiful is that? We're fellow citizens and members of God's household built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets and the prophets are from the Old Testament, apostles from the New Testament, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building, in who? In Christ Jesus, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become what? An unholy temple under high grace? No, a holy temple in the Lord. So that word holy keeps coming up, doesn't it? Keeps coming up over and over again. You'll search, if you really want to know this doctrine, just search the word holy and read every scripture that has the word holy in it. And you'll get a pretty good sense of this doctrine. In him the whole body is joined together and rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too, this is us, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. You've got to, you've got to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Then go to Ephesians 3, 6. And he talks about the mystery. It says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. 
because of the the mighty wall of hostility that was destroyed, that become heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, the body of Christ, and sharers together in the promise. Sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Now, Ephesians 3, 8 to 11. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain, to make it plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which is the mystery was that through the gospel the Gentiles are to with Israel, etc. Make plain the mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Chapter, uh, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. So who should it be made known to? Who should the church make this wisdom known to? The authorities in the heavenly realms. Who's the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Satan and his dominion. See, that's what we battle in. That's what we're battling against in church. We're not preach, we're not battling against spirits. You know, sometimes I can I can feel the, the heaviness in the church. You know, I, I, I get up here and sometimes it's so easy. It's like everyone, I can see light, everything is like lifting. Then other times I come up and it's a completely different feeling. Like when I first started preaching today, there was a heaviness. Who felt it? Anyone feel it? No? Good. I did. Yeah. There was a sense that there were spirits that I had to battle with first. You guys might not have felt it, but I could feel it. And it's just a different thing. So you battle with the spirits. Because you know when, you get, when someone gets saved, when someone gives up their sin to turn to Christ, they've given up Satan. Yes. And that's a fight. That's a battle. So we've got to keep that in perspective. That's what we're, we're uh, battling with. According, in verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let's keep moving. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live worthily. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross, you're not worthy. So now that we're not under the law and we're not saved by works, does that mean we don't have to be worthy? Well, why would they use the word worthy? You know, you've got to be worthy of your place in the kingdom. Once Christ saves you, Live for him and become worthy. You know? You don't want to get there and Jesus look at you and go, you're not worthy of being in my presence. You didn't take up the cross. You didn't give up sin. You're not worthy of me. You didn't become a holy person. You didn't do right things. You didn't live a righteous life. You don't want him to have this long list of things against you because you chose not to believe that as being in the scriptures, even though it is clearly in scripture. Be completely humble and gentle. Gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That sounds a lot like what Andy was saying in the communion today, wasn't it? Just learn to forgive, learn to love, you know? Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And let's go moving forward again. Ephesians 4.11, and it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, 
some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And why? To prepare God's people for works of service. That's what a pastor's meant to do. Prepare you guys to do the works that you have to do, the ones that have been prepared in advance for you to do, the things that you were supposed to do all these Christian years of your life and maybe not realise you had things to do because you were a pew warmer. You know what a pew warmer is? Someone that sits in a pew and that's it. That's their, that's their works for the week. Get to church and sacrifice. Get there by 10 and then stay by 12. I've done my service for the week. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might may be what? Built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants. Then we won't be babies in Christ, tossed back and forth by the waves. Who wants to continually live your life getting tossed around by the waves of whatever's going on? And up and down all the time. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching. So someone comes along and teaches something contrary to this doctrine and you just accept it because he said it so well. And because it's 90% of people say it, so he must be true. And you get tossed around by the wind of, and of teaching out there. And there's plenty of it. You know, there's a, there's a teaching for Christianity according to what you want to believe. There's always someone who's teaching what you want to believe. Did you know that? If you don't want to believe that you have to be holy, there's teaching out there that will teach you you don't have to be holy to be saved. And if you want to believe you can't lose your salvation, no matter what you do, no matter how bad you are, there's what there's teaching out there that will teach that as well, and you can go on there. And there's also teaching out there that says that if you want to be raptured before anything bad happens to you, you will be raptured. And there's plenty of that teaching. Who knows there's plenty of that? And you can go and get taught that and believe it. But if you get comforted in that, you're getting deceived, in my opinion, because the scriptures clearly teach contrary to that. 11 to 16. In so blown here and there, let's go back to verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the coming and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. And from Christ, or from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting movement, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. So we'll grow and we'll build ourselves up as each part does its work. That means each part has a role to play. Each part has to do its work. Amen? Let's go a bit further. 17 to 32. So I tell you this and insist on the Lord. Now, just back here in Ephesians 2, we get told it's not by works, but it's by grace, through faith, and they use that to teach their heart the grace teaching. Rarely will you get one of those hypocrisy teachers teach what I'm about to read now. 
And it says in verse 17, So I tell you this, and insist on in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So he didn't say, try not to live as the Gentiles do. He said, you must, must is a strong word, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, in their futile thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. And separated from the life of God. They're separated from God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Don't let your hearts get hardened like these guys. Having lost all sensitivity, they're not sensitive to God. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for all. You, however, did, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Put it off. Get rid of your old self. The old corrupt, sinful self, put it off which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and you, you are to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God. So is God holy? God is holy, holy, holy. You're created to be like God who is holy, holy, holy in true righteousness and holiness. You're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Could that be any clearer? Are we meant to be holy? Yes. yes. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Put off your falsehood. Put off false things. A true Christian will not be false. Will not lie. And speak truthfully to his neighbour. For we are all members of one body. And then it says, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, the devil can get a foothold. <coughs> he who has been stealing must steal no longer. So if you've been a thief, just because you're not under the law doesn't mean you can steal, does it? No longer. You must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Then it says in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And is Rob saying that or is Paul saying that? Paul? Paul said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So if you're swearing, rebuke yourself in Jesus' name. Christians should not swear. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So you must become of a benefit to people that listen to you. People that listen to you must benefit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit that Jesus died and rose and ascended to give to you. Get rid, listen to this, of all bitterness. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Don't be bitter anymore. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. We should all take from this. Brawling. Brawling. What's brawling? Brawling's like having punch-ups. 
But Christians shouldn't chase clowns down and punch them up. Even though we're tempted. Even though we're tempted. Yeah. I don't know, there's nothing like hitting a clown. But we shouldn't hit the clowns. <laughs> just had to back out my heart. This whole clown media. Oh, this is crazy. It's ridiculous. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. They have teachings, but it's the moral, the moral code of the scriptures is still a requirement of Christianity. It's not like it's only a requirement in the Old Testament. You know, it says here in, in Romans, and I've got it, I've just written it forward for myself, eight, Romans 8, 3b, so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The righteous requirements of the law must be fully met in us. Romans 3.31, and it says, Do we then nullify the law by faith? He says, not at all. We uphold the law. We uphold the law. That's what Christians are called to do. We're to be impeccable, impeccably righteous, impeccably holy. We're to be shining before men that men meet us. It's like they're meeting Jesus Christ because he's in us so much. You know? And if it wasn't that way, it doesn't make sense. Christianity is like, what's Christianity supposed to do? If it can't change a man from an unholy state to a holy state, Something's wrong with it. The reason why it's not changing many Christians is because it's not getting preached, because we get transformed by hearing the word, don't we? We have to hear it preached. We have, it has to come at us every, every Sunday, or, you know, even if I'm, I tend to preach it, even if I'm preaching another kind of message, it will still come back to this. Because it's the thrust of the scriptures everywhere I look in scripture. That's why I've gone through every book of the Bible so far. I've gone through, I started in 1 Peter, I did 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and then I went to 1 John, 2 John, and, and I don't think I had any in 3 John, maybe I did. And then I had some in Jude, then I went to Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and I've done Galatians. We're now going through Ephesians. Has it said it continuously? It's said it continuously. I'm up to part 13, and I've still got more scriptures to go, a lot more. And actually, some of the hardest-hitting ones are still yet to come. In Philippians and Colossians, we're going to be blown away by what it says in relation to salvation and holiness. It just goes hand in hand. One involves the other. If you're saved, you will be holy. If, you, if you're not saved, you won't be holy. Or if you're saved and you were holy and then you give up holiness and start to live wretchedly, that's evidence that you've lost your salvation. It's that whole, you will know them by their fruit. That's why Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in the marriage of the covenant relationship that I have with you. I die for you to marry you so that you could be my bride. And you're going to remain in that relationship. But if you divorce Christ, if you give up Christ, if you say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore, he's going to pick you up, throw you in the fire, and you're going to be burned. Salvation loss is very real in Scripture. Or else you wouldn't have said remain. Because that means you were already in Christ. But then he says, if you don't remain, meaning if you break your wedding vows, if you divorce him, you're going to lose your salvation. 
That's why the, the Christians of old never repented, even in the face of great torture and, and death. They wouldn't recant. They knew that their words meant everything. They wouldn't try to get out of it. They would go, okay, I'm not giving up Christ no matter what you do to me. And the communists and, 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 and many um, uh, of the emperors and all that, they started to, they knew, understood this about the Christians. So they started to invent really, really terrible torture methods that would prolong for many, many days the torture. And all the while saying, if you just give up Christ, this can all stop and you can be set free and you can walk out and go home. And the Christians refused to be set free, refused to get released from their tortures because they knew salvation loss is very real. They said, I don't care what I have to go through, I am not divorcing my Lord. Amen? There's a reason why that I was so passionate. Ephesians 5, 1 to 21, let's go through this and then I'm, I'm just about finished. Be imitators of God. To imitate God. If we are to imitate God, would we go out and get drunk? Would we take drugs? Would we imitate God by doing that? No. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. A hint is very... If you go up and ask for a drink, just a hint of lemon. Okay. Love that. You know, not even a hint. Not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. See, these are improper for God's holy people. I'm really reading the whole book of Ephesians. This is saying it right through. Nor should there be obscenity. Why do you think he's hanging on this much teaching in relation to this? It's because the Christians back then struggled too. So he says, nor should there be obscenity. Foolish talk, coarse joking, coarse joking. That's easy to do, isn't it? We've got to be careful. I mean, especially dirty jokes. You know, trying to listen to them at work. Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving for this. You can be sure that they read this very carefully. No immoral, immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, hang on, idolater, immoral, impure, greed, makes you an idolater. And isn't that breaking the command? Idolatry. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Has any? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. You get nothing. Some people say, oh, well, you know, that's only mentioning inheritance. It doesn't mean you don't, you're not going to heaven. Well, if you've got no inheritance in heaven, where do you live in heaven? <laughs> oh, where, where's Jack? Oh, he's over under a tree. Doesn't he have a mansion? No, no, he didn't get an inheritance. He just lives under that tree, you know? He begs in heaven. But surely he got something. He's in heaven. No, no, he got the but he's got nothing. No inheritance. Come on. What does it mean? Heaven is our inheritance. Heaven is our inheritance. That's why we live for Christ, to get that inheritance. Amen? So when we die. 
which are advertised to have no immoral, impure, greedy person such a man as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Let no one deceive you. Get this. Let no one deceive you. These people that try to tell you that inheritance is that. Let them not deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. His wrath. If you're going to be disobedient, His wrath will come upon you. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Paul, you're going on about this a bit. Isn't he? He's going on and on and on about it. Rob's going on and on and on about it. But Paul went on and on and on about it. Every book. Fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose those deeds of darkness. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. I've heard some mentions of what the disobedient do in secret. You know, some of us might have been disobedient in secret. And it'd be shameful to mention what we used to get up to. But when you hear what the elite are doing in secret, it's shameful to mention it. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And listen to this, be very careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Not being unwise. Not letting itching ear preaching, you know, let you be satisfied with the wretchedness of your life. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. These days are evil, amen? We live in evil days. And they're getting more and more evil. And Jesus says they're going to get more and worse than this. And before he comes, it will be never as bad as what we're entering into. It will be the most evil, evil, evil days. And the church is not ready. Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. And then he goes on. Do not get drunk on wine. Which leads to debauchery. When you get drunk, who knows when you get drunk? Who's been drunk? Anyone in this room been drunk before? Yep. Do you get a bit silly? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're really drunk, you get really silly. Mm -hmm. And you're really prone to doing stupid things, foolish things, and you're prone to doing things you never normally would do. You know? That's why, um, and I'll say it for the sake of, of the younger here, that a lot of guys get girls drunk. Why? Young girls? So that they can have their way with them. Because once you're drunk, you let down all your guards fall. And you get prone to, you know, do things that you normally would never do if you weren't drunk. So you've got to be very careful. Because drunk, getting drunk on wine leads to debauchery. Now we've got things a lot stronger than wine, but spirits. Drugs. And, you know, vodka cruises. And all those little sweet things. They take a lot of lollies and you can drink it. <laughs> drink them. 
You know what I mean? They're so sweet, they just go down like nothing, but they knock you on the head within a floor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I just heard the last one. Yeah. <laughs> Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that's how we need to speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Basically, what it's saying is talk about the Word of God to each other. And Christians shouldn't give up meeting together because we should get together and talk about the Word of God. We should encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We've got to keep in this. Because as it gets darker, we've got to come together so that light will continually shine, shine out of us. So that, you know, what you do, you think about this you're alive in the Lord, but you're, the, the lampshade can get a bit dull because it can get dusty and it can get dirty and all that sort of thing. When you come to church, it's like you get a clean. You clean up. If, if it's glass, just say there's eight panes of glass and you've got the little light in the middle and you, you know you carry your lamp. And they get dirty, so you get it all clean. You get all those uh, glass panes clean and then you've got this clean, bright light. And you do that and every Sunday you come, you're a little dirty and you've got to get it cleaned again. You know, eventually you can clean yourself, but you still have to come to church because we, you know, you might need refueling in a sense. You know, we, and that's why it's the way Christianity is designed. It has to be that way. So that we uh, live our Christianity as a community, so as a moving of a community of people. Then, uh, speak to them with heart songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another. We are submit to each other in reverence for Christ. And then we go into things which I'm going to read right now. But why submit to your husband? So I'll just read that down. Verse 22. Verse 22. Yeah, no, we've got to leave that there. Why submit to your husband? So this is the Lord. Okay. 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty house. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Against, and what is the devil's schemes? To get you back into sin. That's the scheme. Why don't we put on the armour? Not to go into spiritual warfare necessarily. It's so that we can resist the sin nature. It's to protect us from the sin. Protect our heart. Breastplate of righteousness. Uh, uh, let's read the let's read the uh, elements of the um, of the armor. It's interesting when you look at it from protecting the sin nature. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand or be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Have truth around your waist. Have truth. Let it girdle you. Let truth hold you in. Be held together by truth. Because when you put on your waist, it keeps your pants on. Oh, sorry, when you put on your belt, it keeps your waist on. Or your pants up. So when you put on your belt, <laughs> keep your pants up. So, you know, if you're found naked and wanting, you know, as, as the Lord would say. But the belt 
holds it together. You put on a, you know, I put on my belt sometimes to hold my belly in. No. I don't know why I look at Cheryl when I say something. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, oh. <laughs> no, I don't need to. Yeah, no. Anyway, belt of truth around your waist, holding, holding, holding it together. Okay, let's keep going. I'll edit those first couple of times and say, Stand firmly with the bottom of your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Protect your heart. Who knows we can get dreadfully corrupted in our heart? What can corrupt your heart? What sort of things? What sort of sins? Talk, slanders, talk, gossip. Yeah, unforgiveness. Yeah, that can really affect you, can't it? So unforgiveness leads to hatred. Hatred, it says in the scriptures, is murder. You know, so whoa, protect your heart. So we need that, that breastplate of righteousness in place. And it says righteousness. So think righteously and have righteous things in our um, Stand firm then with the book of truth and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out into the world and tell them about Jesus, the gospel. And, and it's interesting, Matthew prayed prayer about being an ambassador. It's actually started with Stephen and then Matthew carried on from the prayer in the morning and he started talking about um, the ambassador. We're supposed to be ambassadors and this is Ambassadors should be in other countries, going out from the country into other countries. That's where you're an ambassador. If you're in your own country, you're home. And in a sense, we're ambassadors, but a lot of us stay in our country here. We don't talk about Jesus in our own country, but we're supposed to get out and talk. So we're supposed to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. We're supposed to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. Um, there's a uh, um, you know how we've been praying, we were, were praying for Jo, um, and she's passed on, um, died from cancer. And uh, her husband, Phil, talks about his, uh, it was his grandmother, it was his grandmother. And in a, she was in a church in Melbourne. And every day, she would fill up a bag full of tracks. And she would, the whole day, from morning to night, she'd go out and just hand tracks out everywhere, along the beach, along the coast, everywhere she went, she'd just hand out tracks. And she'd talk to people about Jesus. And every day was filled with talking to people about Jesus continuously. And the church that she was part of went from a, a small number to around four to 500. And about most of them, 90% of them, came from what she did. She went out and reached out to people continuously, day after day after day. She had a feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So, if any of you want to do that full time, <laughs> this church would be very grateful. Um, and in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows that get shot to us. The, the, the arrows of accusation, the arrows of, um, you know, things that, that come against us, this continuous things that we get, that gets shown us every day. Who knows, it's Christian, you, you get that, you get attacks in life. And you've got to have that um, shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you think about it, Paul, he was, he preached in one city and he got picked up by the whole city and they dragged him out of the, out of the city and stoned him. 
then the believers got a round and prayed for him, and he, he rose from the dead, and then he guess what he did? He went straight back into that city again. He had an incredible shield. You know, because he didn't let, you can imagine what they were saying to him, is that it would have you know, been a nice scene. Been a dreadful, dreadful scene. Most of us would take it, you know, a good year to recover from the torment of what was said and done there. He didn't take any longer than a moment. Raised from the dead, they had I believe he was raised from the dead. Because Jews know how to stone people to death. They were very good at it. And you sort of know when you killed someone, when you hit them with stones. You know, there's a certain sign, I think, that takes place. And that's why they would have stopped, because the whole city did it. So the city was said that he's, he's completely dead, mm. left. The believers got around him. And as a sign to that city, Jesus rose into it. And uh, take the helmet of salvation, put that helmet of salvation, know you're saved. And how do you know you're saved? Because you're in the Holy Spirit, and you're walking in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you continuously. And you know what? If you start feeling, oh, I'm a Rob's teaching, I don't know, sometimes I just don't know if I'm saved. Let that be a good thing. Not that it, my teaching would condemn anyone, but let the teaching that comes, that because all I'm doing is preaching what Paul and Peter and John say, let it turn you into the Christian you're meant to be. Let it be a good sign that you should not be comfortable in the Christian life that you've been leading up to now. Let, it not, let yourself not get comfortable. As soon as things get comfortable, that's worrying. That's concerning because that's when sin can creep in. So if you get home and you go home and you're a bit disturbed and man, I've got to change this and I've got to change in my life, let that be a really good thing because God wants his people to change. God wants his people to grow and develop. Amen. Um, take the of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Know how to swing your sword. Know this thing. Know it so well. Because we don't swing swords to kill men. We, we swing it to save men. When this strikes someone in the heart, it saves them, not kills them. We pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. See? We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Meaning, there's lots of occasions in a day. We're supposed to take those occasions and pray. That grind. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So pray for all the saints. So um, each of you should be praying for each of you. And we should also be praying for, you know, like Pastor Joe's church, it's our sister church, and we should be praying for other churches that you know, and other pastors that you know, and other people that you know need prayer. We've got to be praying for all the saints, but we also got to be interceding for our families and our loved ones and our friends that don't know Jesus. We've got to be interceding for them. There's a lot to pray about. You know, so we've got to take Paul's advice and part of the thing, the move of the Spirit, and part of our works that we have to do that, that have been prepared in advance for us is prayer. And we, we need to do that. Amen. Alright, I think I finished. I got right through the book of Ephesians. How amazing is that? Right, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you for helping me get through that, Lord. And I uh, pray that every word that I spoke today will.
made a difference in everyone's life here. Um, Lord, I, I'm just uh, amazed at what you can you can do with the with the scriptures, Lord, and I, I thank you that you're exposing to all of us the truth of this doctrine. And as we go through each of the books of the Bible in the New Testament, we can see so clearly uh, what your word says in relation to salvation and holiness. And Lord, we really need to take this to heart. We really need to step up. Lord, you have prepared in advance for us works that we must do. And Lord, help us to know what they are. Help us to walk in them. Help us to live uh, according to those things so that uh, we'll put you first every day and ask you every day, what do you want us to do for you today? And even though we're going to work with all these other things that we have to do, I know that you can enable us to, inside of all that, fulfill your will every day as well. So help us to be mindful of your will at all times, knowing what it is that we must do, so that we can live a full, righteous and holy life in you. And I pray this in your wonderful name. So be with us now, bless us this week. Uh, may your spirit just move in us this week and give us a, a great week. Keep us all safe, keep us strong, keep us healthy. And um, just watch over us and direct our paths and speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us in those quiet moments. Speak to us as we pray. Speak to us um, as we sleep. And, and, and talk to us and guide us and direct us and keep us on the path of life. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.